We live our lives without knowing how much time we have on this earth, and unsure if the last time we see a loved one truly is the very last time we will ever see them. Maybe it was from an awareness few of us possess that these words were written. Smile for me when I'm gone. Hold your head up high. Be the strong one I know, yet don't be afraid to cry. This was part of the poem, Smile For Me, written by Jamie Fraley, a 22-year-old woman who disappeared in the early morning hours of April 9th, 2008, from her apartment building in Gastonia, North Carolina. Several days after her disappearance, her cell phone was found on the side of a road at an intersection only a few miles from her home. In the early stages of their investigation, Police identified a person of interest in her case, a maintenance man in her apartment building, who just happened to be the father of her fiancé. But it would be a shocking discovery two months after she disappeared that would make Jamie's case one of the more frustrating cases I have covered, and one I have chosen to personally involve myself in. This is episode 10 of They Disappeared. When I'm gone, my search for Jamie Fraley. When Jamie Fraley was born on March 5th, 1986, doctors were pessimistic of her chances at living a long life. Complications at the time of her birth had been so difficult on both Jamie and her mother that the ordeal nearly ended both of their lives. As a result, doctors informed Jamie's mother, Kim Fraley, that Jamie may not live to be one year old. When Jamie lived to see her first birthday, doctors told Kim, Jamie may not live to be three. But time and time again, Jamie proved the doctors wrong and defied the odds. Although it wasn't easy. Jamie battled health issues throughout her life. When she stopped growing, she was only four foot nine inches tall and weighed less than a hundred pounds. She had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder in her teens and had difficulty with anxiety that kept her from finishing high school and unable to obtain a driver's license. This resulted in her having to rely on rides from family and friends for her medical appointments and necessities. In 2006, wanting more independence, Jamie moved out of her mother's home and into the Copperfield Apartments on the corner of Lowell Bethesda Road in Gastonia. Jamie's passion to help people motivated her to enroll part-time in nearby Gaston College with a desire to pursue a career as a substance abuse counselor. That same year, she started dating Ricky Simmons Jr. Her friends and family described the two as inseparable. And early on in their relationship, the couple became engaged and made plans to marry. Unfortunately, Ricky Jr. had a criminal record with a history of drug abuse that followed him into their relationship. And on January 4, 2007... Ricky Jr. was ordered to serve a 15-month prison sentence for larceny. Their marriage plans would be put on hold 
but unfazed by the separation, Jamie wrote to him every day as she counted down the days towards his release. And in the meantime, Jamie also began spending time with her soon-to-be father-in-law, Rick Simmons Sr., who also lived in the Copperfield Apartments with his girlfriend, Kim Springer. Rick Sr. was the building maintenance man, and like his son, he also had a criminal past. However, his crimes were darker and far more disturbing. In 1986, the same year Jamie was born, Rick Sr. was charged with first-degree murder for the strangulation death of his ex-girlfriend, Donna Miller. After his arrest, Rick Sr. threatened suicide and was admitted to a mental health facility. His first-degree murder charge was reduced to manslaughter, and he was released from prison in 1992 for good behavior. Jamie kept this a secret from her family, as her and Rick Sr. developed a friendship during Ricky Jr.'s incarceration. It was also during this time that friends and family started to grow uncomfortable with Rick Sr.'s behavior towards Jamie, which was described as Rick Sr. making sexually charged comments towards her. This contributed to Kim Springer breaking up with Rick Sr. and moving out of their apartment together. On April 8, 2008, Jamie complained to her health provider that she had woken up with intense stomach pain. The pain was so intense that Jamie actually had her provider take her to the hospital where she was diagnosed with the stomach flu and discharged. In the afternoon, Jamie called her aunt, Stacy Dennis, and told her she didn't think she had been correctly diagnosed and that her stomach pain had worsened. That evening, Jamie decided to return to the hospital and had Rick Sr. bring her there. However, the hospital staff informed her that there was a three-hour wait. Not wanting to wait that long, Jamie returned home. Several residents of her apartment building witnessed her entering her apartment at around midnight. And no one has seen her since. Kim Fraley says she received a phone call from Jamie after she returned from the hospital. According to Kim... Jamie said she was very sick, saying she had been vomiting and had the chills. Kim says she offered to pick her up and bring her home to take care of her until they could get her in to see a doctor that morning, but Jamie refused. Concerned about missing an appointment she had that same morning with the Social Security Administration that her health provider was going to bring her to. Other than being sick, there was no indication of Jamie being in any danger or distress during the call. But when the call ended, it would be the last time Kim would ever speak to her daughter. On the morning of April 9th, Jamie's health provider went to her apartment to pick her up and take her to her appointment at the Social Security Administration, but got no answer 
and found the front door locked. Inexplicably, the provider did not report this to Kim Fraley until April 11th. Alarmed, Kim immediately tried calling Jamie, and when she didn't get any response, she called the police to have a welfare check done on her. Police received a key from the complex manager. And since Jamie's apartment seemed in order, and police found no evidence of a struggle or forced entry, they did not see cause for alarm. But after hearing this, Kim Fraley brought Jamie's aunt, Stacy Dennis, and Jamie's cousin, Haley Dennis, with her to look through Jamie's apartment. Inside, they found Jamie's purse and keys, but could not find her phone. In the bedroom, they noted there was dried vomit in several areas, indicating just how sick Jamie had been. One of the more disturbing findings in the apartment was Jamie's favorite pair of shoes with the laces missing. Haley informed Kim and Stacy those shoes were the only ones Jamie would ever wear out of her apartment, unless she was wearing flip-flops. And she never saw Jamie wear shoes without laces. Kim phoned the police again, and when they arrived the second time, the three women waited in the parking lot and continued attempting to call Jamie. And finally, someone did answer her phone. But it wasn't Jamie. The person who answered Jamie's phone identified himself as an employee of the local cable company and stated he had heard the phone ringing in the grass while he was out repairing a cable line. Kim informed the police who then sent an officer to retrieve it. Jamie's phone had been found near an intersection several miles from her apartment building. Knowing now that Jamie always carried her phone with her, they took a missing persons report from Kim Fraley. In the early stages of their investigation, detectives questioned all of the residents in Jamie's apartment building. All of them were cooperative, all except for Rick Sr. In their interviews with Rick Sr., detectives described him as being cold and manipulative and provided limited information, which was mostly useless. Detectives pulled Jamie's cell phone records and learned she had made her last phone call at 1.30 a.m. to a friend who lived nearly two hours away. The friend has not been publicly identified, but that friend informed investigators that Jamie had said she was waiting for a ride to go back to the hospital. And right before she hung up, Jamie reportedly told her friend, I have to go. My ride is here. He is here. Unfortunately, Jamie never identified the male who was picking her up, only saying that he drove a truck Detectives could not find any record of Jamie visiting or checking into any of the nearby hospitals. And although they had their eye on Rick Sr., he did not own a truck. He drove a van. Investigators are not sure if Jamie would have referred to Rick Sr.'s van as a truck, since it is common to identify larger vehicles as trucks in some areas of the Carolinas. On April 29th, nearly three weeks after Jamie's disappearance, Ricky Jr. was released from prison. With nowhere else to go, he went to live with Jamie's family. Ricky Jr. believed the police suspicions of his father and was furious with him. 
going as far as working with police to help build a case against him. Throughout the month of May, Jamie's family and friends conducted searches and handed out flyers in an attempt to generate leads. All while they held out hope she would safely return home. Then, on June 9th, two months after Jamie went missing, a horrifying discovery would forever close one of the only leads investigators had in Jamie's case. Kim Springer, the ex-girlfriend of Rick Sr., had been bothered by a foul smell in her car that had been lingering for two days, beginning on June 7th. By June 9th, she went through her car to find the source of the odor, which she discovered was actually coming from the trunk. When she opened it, she found the decomposing body of Rick Sr. staring up at her. When the police arrived, they found Rick Sr. had a knife and several items Kim Springer had previously reported missing, including an extra set of car keys. Police believed that Rick Sr. had planned to ambush Kim Springer, and in the weeks prior to his death, Rick Sr. had reportedly told several of his friends he was going to give Kim the surprise of her life. Here's Johnny! It was later determined that Rick Sr. had died from hyperthermia, or heat stroke, and that he had alcohol and illegal drugs in his system. Police believed that in his attempt to ambush Kim Springer, he became trapped in the trunk, and due to his high level of intoxication was unable to activate the emergency release. With no other leads in Jamie's case, any information Rick Sr. may have had was now lost forever. It's now been 12 years since Jamie disappeared, and no movement or new developments have been made in her case. Ricky Jr. still lives in the Gastonia area, and has been arrested several times in the years since Jamie's disappearance. His mugshots can be found in simple Google searches of his name. Kim Springer gave an on-camera interview several years ago in which she said that despite Rick Sr. dying in the trunk of her car as he waited to ambush her, and his behavior towards Jamie contributing to their breakup, she did not believe Rick Sr. was involved in Jamie's disappearance. Jamie's family continues their search for her and they continue to keep her case active in the media in the hope of generating new leads. Jamie's younger sister even put together a PowerPoint presentation that can be viewed on LinkedIn. And then there is me. I first learned about Jamie's case and the true crime show disappeared. And I was given an opportunity through a law enforcement acquaintance in Gastonia to ask questions about Jamie's case. But unfortunately, because it is still an open investigation, they could not answer any of my questions or provide any access to any of the case material. The only document I was allowed to view was the official missing persons report Kim Fraley completed to open her case. Outside of that, most of the available information I found online. 
A while back, I decided to drive out to Gastonia and visit the Copperfield Apartments where Jamie lived and was last seen. I parked outside of the door that led to her unit and then walked past the door leading to Rick Sr.'s unit. The complex is aged and run down. Many of the windows appeared broken and held together with tape. Behind the building was a thick patch of woods that I briefly explored. I next drove to the intersection near where Jamie's cell phone was found. From her apartment building, it took me less than five minutes to get there. Police believe her phone was tossed out of a moving car. And if it was going through that intersection, it's a busy spot that's surrounded by dense woods. I wasn't told the location where the garbage bag was found, and I couldn't find it online. But to me, that would be a perfect spot to start searching even though it has been searched extensively in the past. In many cold cases, discoveries are made in locations that have been previously noted as being thoroughly searched. And it can't hurt to look again. When I left Gastonia, I thought a lot about Jamie and her case. How strange it felt to come as close as I had to the last place she was seen alive. And how it was right next door to Rick Sr.'s unit. The person of interest in her case who was found dead in the trunk of his ex-girlfriend's car. How crazy is that? So many questions circled around in my mind. Did Rick Sr. do something to Jamie that night? Or was it someone unknown to law enforcement? Who was the he-is-here person Jamie referred to? Would she leave her apartment without her keys or purse and lock the door behind her? Is there significance to the laces missing from her shoes? Could they have been used to immobilize her? These are all questions law enforcement can't or won't answer. WCNC in Charlotte ran a story on March 25, 2013 that quoted Assistant Gaston County Police Chief Joe Ramey as saying, New evidence in the Fraley case had been tested recently, but it didn't help investigators. An explanation of what was tested and what it was tested for was not provided in the story. As if on cue, it began to rain. And for the remainder of my drive, I remembered the interview Kim Fraley gave for Jamie's episode of Disappeared. When she was wiping away tears from her eyes saying she felt guilty since Jamie's disappearance 
just doing trivial things like eating or sleeping because she didn't know if Jamie was able to do those same things. How can I eat right now, Kim said. What if Jamie can't eat? How can I sleep? What if Jamie can't sleep? The one possible comfort Jamie's loved ones still have are her words. The words that remain alive for them to return to, just like her pictures. Smile for me when I'm gone. That was the comfort I needed in my search for Jamie Fraley.